Welcome, Patriots. We did not have an episode Friday evening, the reason being we were headed up to Mesa County for the event with Mike Lindell, Tina Peters, and many more. Here's part one of the event. Here we go. More complicated than just Democrat or Republican. And through all the things that have happened over the manufactured crises that we've seen over the last two years, we have to trace it back to the problem. See, in tech, we have to always service the problem, not the symptoms to the problem. Much of the media, much of, of what happens in politics is the serviceability of the symptom because they want to make sure that they have the ability to stay sustainable in the idea that they never solve the problem. In the vaccine world, it used to be something that they'd create a vaccine. It was the March of Dimes and the polio vaccine. Remember that? Right? So they solved that problem in less than two years because they wanted to solve the problem. What we have today is, is, a, is a complete dereliction of duty. There, there is no leadership. Both sides of the fence, the Republicans and Democrats, have abandoned the people in this country. They're two wings of the same bird. So as we start looking at how do we solve the problem, we have to look at what the problem truly is. All of the things that we are facing today go back to stolen elections. The stolen, actually, hold on, let's just back it up. It's not stolen elections. It's the voice of the American people. And do you know who actually are the people that are the most disadvantaged in that environment? The poorest among us. They're the ones that suffer the most. They're the ones that they walk into schools and say, hey, it's not, you need to understand why education systems in the Democrat-controlled environments, if you're going to be in here, you just need to listen and not talk. Or you can't be in here. We have the poorest communities out there, and they're all controlled by Democrats, and it gets worse every single year. And while they get on their high horse and they repeat the same thing over and over again, like AOC did, did today, go to the streets, go to the streets, go to the streets, go to the streets, it's because they believe that people in the poorest communities are stupid. But they're not. They're not stupid. But they keep being told that the reason why you don't have opportunity is because of racism. The reason why you don't have opportunity is because of Christian conservatives. The reason why you don't have opportunity is because of Republicans. Well, I'm sorry, go to the middle of these inner cities. There's not a Republican that you can see if you stood on the tallest building. So how is it that they have access to all of the money as Democrats? They control the student unions. They, they control the politics of that environment. Every year they get up there like it's Groundhog Day, and they're like, listen, we're going we're gonna to fix things for you. And do you know what they fix? Their pockets. It's an unquenchable thirst for money and power. Thank you. It has nothing to do with helping the people. That was never on the plan. That was never a part of the plan. So when I got involved in this, I didn't want to be on the call with Coomer. I didn't want to stand up when I did. I didn't want to stand up when I started the Reopen Colorado movement. But I had a friend that committed suicide. I had my head in the sand. I was in the tech world. I was making a lot of money. I was serving some of the biggest clients across the country. I was having fun. I was honoring God. I was enjoying being a father. I was loving 
mentoring young people. I loved it. I had the perfect life. And then I saw what they did to small to medium businesses. I saw when they made it a holiday for big businesses and said, small businesses, you don't know how to take care of customers. You don't know how to wash your hands. And COVID only exists in your environment. And I watched as they took the Constitution, they balled it up and threw it in the trash, and it didn't seem right to me. It didn't seem right that people were losing their livelihoods. Well, they said they wanted to save grandma. And by the way, every conspiracy theory that they said that we came up with is coming true, every single one. Even conspiracy theories that go back to things like the book 1984, it's kind of crazy. So I stepped out then, and they started writing stuff about me, and that's why I got involved and got curious. See, if you see something, you should be curious. You should want to scratch just below the surface, but the media treats, teaches us this. Headline, first two sentences, please don't read the rest. It's disgusting. They're not curious about the election. Because if they were, they would not use the same words over and over and over again. Disinformation, misinformation. They wouldn't use those words. They would say, all right, show me the evidence. They wouldn't do what they did in Colorado when Tina Peters and Mike Lindell went to the steps of the Capitol and say on Friday, show us the evidence. We want to see the evidence. They got all, every county clerk and recorder together and they said that were on their side and they said, show us the evidence, put up or shut up. So we all went, okay, let's put up. You guys want to see it? So we contacted Matt Crane. You know what Matt Crane said? The time for talk is over. Because he doesn't want to see the truth because he already knows the truth. And anyone with a half a brain knows that the election was stolen in 2020. Anyone with a half a brain knows that those machines are crooked. See, it's called standard deviations. They don't like me because I could give two craps what they do to my reputation. I know where I'm going. I know that God judges you by your character and not the reputation that they want to build for you. And so to me, losing my company, $150 million in value, 60% of my clients because they were shamed by people that called them over and over again as I was doxxed, meant nothing to me. Stepping down as a CEO meant nothing to me. It's my passion. It's what I love. Two minutes? Okay. At the end, I'm going to talk about the lesser magistrates while you're gone. Okay. You know, the, the, the biggest thing that I want to tell you is that, number one, I'm not deep state. I lost too much. I don't know how you'd be deep state and lose as much as I've lost. Um, somebody said that to me today. Joe, they said you're deep state. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But I also want to tell you that we were all born at a time such as this, Republicans and Democrats, and the line in the sand has become very clear. The line in the sand is not between political parties. It's not between classes, it's not between people of color or minorities or even people's sexual orientation. That's not the division. The division is between right and wrong. Amen. 
the division is even bigger than that in that it's between Americans on one side and the communist evil on the other. I get to talk to Democrats all the time because I challenge them. I'm like, all right, invite me. I'll sit down with you. I'll debate you. I did that. I sat down with 130 of them. And one that hated me at the end gave me a hug. and said, I don't, I don't know how I hate I don't. I want to hate you. <laughs> and I said, well, I love you. <laughs> but we do this for our kids. We don't do it for us. Many of us are in you know, past our prime. So we do this so we can protect future generations so that they can have opportunity. Yeah. So I, I want to make the first introduction tonight, and I'll get a chance to talk to you about that Lesser Magistrates book. It's really important. Um, hopefully the media leaves by then because then I can tell you about my plan. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You can stick around. You might want to join it, actually. This might work for you. I mean, I, I did convert another journalist, so maybe I could red pill you, too. Um, our, our first speaker is from Utah, and he's running for governor. And he has been a fearless fighter. And he doesn't know it, but I've been following him a lot. And he's going to talk to you about two red pills. I want to welcome to the front uh, Phil Lyman. Oh, you are? Oh my gosh. Okay, we have two red pills that are going to talk first. I'm not a very good MC, so here you go. It's okay. We work with Phil a lot, so it's no problem. I am Jen. This is Sophie. We are two moms. Thank you. We are two moms who expose corruption, fight evil, and will defend freedom till the end. That's who we are. <laughs> and I will tell you that Utah has a lot of problems. That's where we're from. And I mean, Utah's a four-letter word in more, more ways than one, is what we're learning. Um, and it all started, actually, for the election stuff right here in Mesa County, when some of the people in Utah attended the symposium, heard the brave, heroic story of Tina Peters, had not met her, left the symposium to make phone calls and said, we need to take action right now. And that moment in time, Utah woke up to a level that we needed to wake up to on taking action. Thank you, Tina Peters. <laughs> um, Utah has a lot of problems. I, we wish so desperately we had a Secretary of State. We have a Lieutenant Governor, which is this, kind of the same thing. Um, except for the difference is the lieutenant governor in Utah runs on the same ticket as the governor. That's a problem, especially when the lieutenant governor runs elections. They run on the same ticket. The person that comes in is over elections, and there's no checks and balances because it's a direct report to the top level. We need to get a secretary of state back. And I'm telling you, if we had Tina Peters, we would consider ourselves so blessed. We envy Colorado for that. For sure. For sure. So, um, like Jen said, um, Utah has a lot of problems. And we, I think the people of the uh, selected, not elected people of Utah, um, I don't think they ever anticipated any, anyone, much less two moms, to dig into elections. So, 
what, what happened was Jen and I decided that we needed to have undeniable proof and evidence to show how our elections were manipulated, right? When, when, we, when anyone speaks of election integrity, what are we called? Conspiracy theorists, you know, right-wing extremists. I mean, they know all the names, right? We can ask them. But we, um, you know, we're called all those things. Well, we never anticipated two moms. We each have four kids. Like, are they really going to come after us? Like, we're nobodies. So Jen and I, we kind of launched a plan because we realized if we don't get this undeniable proof, we can't go anywhere. So Jen and I both, for all 29 counties of Utah, we, we submitted grammar requests. At the, it's the equivalent of FOIAs. Um, for our state, and we asked for um, tabular tapes, ballot images, CVR reports, project backup database for every 29 counties. Now, little us, we thought, oh, we're just trying to help our elections. Who doesn't want election integrity, right? Well, the backlash and the things that came our way after we did those requests are, we feel like we're living in a movie. So less than 24 hours after I sent in the request for the project database, I had what we believed to be FBI on my doorstep. My house was bugged. They claimed to be pest control. I was the pest. Um, they bugged my house. I guess they weren't lying. Um, we, I was tracked. I, trackers put on my car. I was surveilled in restaurants with Sophie. Uh, she had watch her back written on the back of her car with a man in the ski mask following her. We had actually what seems like it's very likely to be uh, poison darts put in some of our clothing. Um, and we've had other stories we haven't released yet to let us know that when our Governor Cox, who ran his own election thanks to Senate Bill 25, which when he was installed in 2013, was the same year, coincidentally, that was a law was passed that allowed the Lieutenant Governor, in a state of emergency with mass hospitalizations, this is 2013 we're talking, to have tyrannical power over elections. Fast forward seven years, this same lieutenant governor who was never elected, he was selected from the start, runs his own elections under the guise of the emergency of COVID, and miraculously wins with 53,614 more votes than Trump. Well, if anybody liked the governor, that would not be surprising, but we have spent a year looking for people who voted for Trump, and we've come up with 12. I'm sorry, we've come up for Cox, and we've come up with 12. We are the only Republican state who had a gubernatorial election where the governor had more votes than Trump. Explain that. Yes, and just recently, Jen and I, um, we filed a lawsuit for three counties in Utah because they are subverting us, thwarting us, whatever it takes. Our lieutenant governor refuses to give over records that are, are they're owed to us. We are the people. It's, they are our elections. They are not the lieutenant governors. They're not the governors. They're our elections. We have a right to see what happened. And, and... Thank you, yes, and, and what's so maddening about this is every single contract that we have read and, and submitted for and gotten through public records, um, the vendors say these are our records, these are our elections. Um, the committees, I mean, in the very contract, it states explicitly that the people have the right to these records, these election returns. 
Yet, when we asked for the Project Backup Database, ESNS, which is the machine run in all of our counties but two, ESNS's lawyer writes to my request and says that I am breaking a federal law by requesting this information, <laughs> Code 42, and that by requesting this information and getting this information would make it a security risk to the critical infrastructure which conveniently Utah has a threat management unit created in 2015 thank you Lieutenant Governor Cox for insulating yourself a threat management unit it is dedicated to arresting exposing and taking care of any citizens who threaten a critical infrastructure right well exactly and to Jen's point these selected not elected officials of Utah and I'm sure this is happening in Colorado and all across the country they are determined to protect themselves and not be transparent to the people let me just go back to our lawsuit um, so we filed this lawsuit for three counties for these data election returns the lieutenant governor Deidre Henderson has now through our AG's office filed two times to dismiss our case now if our elections are the gold standard they're beautiful they're wonderful Biden really won why in the world are they trying to dismiss a case to two moms who are just trying to figure out what happened in our elections so the top three election officials we have in Utah are the governor the lieutenant governor and the director of elections the Director of Elections sent the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Public Safety after a man who in March of 2020 wrote to him and said, um, I believe there's vulnerabilities in the Dominion machines. Thank you to Tina Peters and Jeff O'Donnell who proved that is true beyond a shadow of a doubt. So our Director of Elections is sticking the FBI on people asking questions. We have the lieutenant governor who in December, which was the same time we had all of this security um, issues with us making these requests, at the same time the lieutenant governor publishes a piece in an article stating that she has sicked the FBI after people who want to canvass. And then within the week of the project backup database request, which by the way, from thereafter, they copied the FBI and sheriffs on my emails. Um, the Governor Cox comes out with a statement that says people, whether it's legislators like Phil Lyman or people like us who question or anything with the elections are, this is a quote, playing a very dangerous game. We have threats at all three levels and our attitude to him is no, you're playing the dangerous game. We will get that data because it is rightfully ours. We even had a county in Utah who had lawyers on this county look at the law for a week straight and said, we see no reason why you can't have it. Well, the only reason is they're afraid of what's in there. Yeah, we had a huge victory just a couple of weeks ago, Jen and I, in a two and a half um, appeal to this appeals board. Two and a half hours. Sorry, I missed a whole word there. I apologize. I'm trying to go really fast to give everyone time. Um, yeah, in a two and a half hour appeal, Jen and I, we, we pled our case, why we had the rights to these records, and we were victorious. It was, it was a huge victory. Um, yeah, the first, the first county in all of Utah to reward, reward these um, returns. Well, a couple of days later, guess what? the county has decided that they're going to appeal their appeals board decision. And just so you guys understand, with the law, we, 
we feel like we kind of outsmarted them a bit. Because the law says, well, time will tell. Um, the law says that if we're in the process of appealing a public record, that data can't be destroyed. The 22 mark, month mark is approaching. We're not stopping until we get to the US Supreme Court, if that's what it takes. They cannot destroy the data. But, but Governor Cox, who is the luckiest man alive to be able to run his own election during COVID, he also, right when he got in, right after inauguration, had a statewide server outage of election. So, I asked for the copy of the backup copy of the database, not the real one. So they're either have to gonna pony it up in discovery, or he's gonna have to explain how the whole state lost all the data, which is a felony if they can't they can't preserve that for 22 months. So. Anyway, that explains a little bit. In the meantime, we want to introduce to you Utah's only hope right now. This is Phil Lyman. Let me tell you a little bit about Phil Lyman. Phil Lyman was a county commissioner in southern Utah. He stood up for his, his uh, rights, his First Amendment rights with his county to stop federal land grab. The federal government owns 67% of Utah. It's against the law. Phil stood up. He was imprisoned for 10 days. He paid almost $100,000 in fines for his amendment, just exercising his First Amendment rights. He is an absolute hero of Tina Peters' caliber. And you know what he turned around and did? He ran for house and he kicked butt in the house. They are so afraid of him. <laughs> the, the best part of the story before we hand the mic over to, to um, Phil is... Do I get to say it? Yeah, so just really quick. Um, I have four children. No, no, no. Oh, never mind. We have a lot of stories. So um, the best, the biggest, bestest part um, of Phil's story, in our opinion, just because it's so fun, is um, President Trump pardoned Phil Lyman. Thank you. Uh. <laughs> Thanks, Jen, Sophie. Well, yeah, so um, I did get a presidential pardon, which was pretty cool. It was after I'd already paid about 100000 in fines and about 400000 in legal fees. So you know, you know how, the, how the routine goes. And I told my wife when, uh, when uh, by the way, have any of you ever been in federal court? It's, it's cold in there. They keep it really cold. And the, uh, because people are, you know, nervous and upstanding, you know, standing up and giving testimony and stuff. And the jury afterwards says, uh, when they went in to do the jury deliberation, everyone got nauseated. Um, the room was really hot. They said, well, and then they switched to another room. Oh, well, the air conditioning was broken. It kind of reminded me of, of this feeling. <laughs> but I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to read the headlines of the Salt Lake Tribune today. It says, Utah Rep. Phil Lyman set to speak at election conspiracy conference in Colorado. Head, headlined by Mike Lindell. I didn't know this was a, a conspiracy conference, but welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, says, Rep. Phil Lyman will be a featured speaker at a Colorado event focusing on the big lie that the 2020 election was marred by uh, rampant fraud. So uh, Lyman is speaking at... Uh, the, the conference, he'll be joined by several um, other prominent figures 
who have embraced election fraud conspiracy theories, including MyPillow CEO, Mike Lindell. So, <laughs> so, so, of course, I took that article and posted it and said, hey, look what's happening. Isn't this awesome? So there's, and which brings me to, and I'm, I'm sorry, I've got a lot of notes, and I'm definitely not going to be using them, but there's a few things I wanted to read. Um, some of you may be familiar with uh, Marcus Aurelius, a Stoic, uh, and I think this just, you know, before somebody was saying, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And, and that's, you, you hear that a lot. Well, what do we do? Um, this, is, uh, this is from, um, from Marcus Aurelius. He says, the mind adapts and converts to its own purpose the obstacle to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And I want to read that again. The mind adapts and converts to its own purposes the obstacle to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And that's what's happening right now in this country. The, the, the impediments that we're facing, they're getting bigger and bigger. The more, the more blatant it is, the more people say, we're not going to sit by and take this any longer. Um, I just, uh, I, I wanted to, to mention a couple of things that, just before I sit down, because I know we've got limited time, but um, is, is, is Justice Gableman, is he in the room? Okay, it's, it's all right. I'm going to say something about Justice Gableman. Uh, a friend of mine, he's become a friend through this, um, but I was watching the, the hearings in Wisconsin. I don't know if anybody watched Justice Gableman as he was dragged into court, and, um, and he stood up there, and he shook his finger at the judge, and he shook his finger at the judge bailiff, and I, I thought, man, that's bold. That's really bold. And so I texted him, and I said, hey, bravo, Mike. That was awesome. And I get a call a few minutes later, and he said, there's a lot of things I am, but I was not going to sit there that day and be a coward. And that's what, that's what impresses me. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't care if a person is, is a Democrat or Republican like we're saying. I admire people who have courage, who, who genuinely have courage. Um, you know, they say don't get between a, a mother bear and her cub, and you'll, you'll find out what happens. And another person for whom I have so much respect is Sophie. Uh, she, we we kind of, we, we got acquainted through, you know, some of this election stuff. She went to the uh, school board meeting in Granite, facing down a woke school board as a mother, was shut down, and she was not going to be shut down, so she raised her voice. She's also being prosecuted, right? Prosecuted, run, run through the ringer, the school board won't drop the charges, the courts won't drop the charges. It's ridiculous. When you've got the highest law enforcement or the highest you know, law attorney in the land, Merrick, Merrick Garland, yep. saying, what are mothers who go to school board meetings and stand up for their kids? <laughs> so if, if someone calls you a domestic terrorist, you know, some people might shrink. Well, Sophie doesn't shrink. She puts it on a T-shirt and she wears it around and, and she gets involved in things like this. So the impediment to the way becomes the way, and that's, and that's what motivates us to do things. Um, lastly, I just want to give a shout out to Tina uh, Peterson, uh, Gold Star Mom. Um, when, they, when they arrested her publicly to embarrass her, was she embarrassed? She was not embarrassed. I have, I have a great envy about something f of Tina's, and that's her mugshot. On my mugshot, I look I looked startled and confused. <laughs> has, has anybody seen Tina's mugshot? She's beaming. She's beaming. She's like, I just, I look at that. It's like, oh, man. And I, they took like several mugshots of me. And I know they were trying to get the worst one. And then when, then when I saw it come out after I got out of jail, after I got out of, because I did do 10 hard days in prison. They wanted two years, but it, 
by the end of it, somebody finally started to get some, some sense. But, but I so admire Tina for her sacrifice and for what she's done. She won't back down. She won't go away. And that, is, that really is the heart of everything that we're doing here. I have to say, thank you. And I'll try to wrap this up really quickly. You know, they have accountants. I'm an accountant. Um, I'm not, I wasn't born in Grand Junction, but I was conceived in Grand Junction, so. Uh, <laughs> I was born in Blanding, Utah. A few months after my parents moved from, from Grand Junction, my dad was in a CPA firm here, and then I became a CPA. Um, and CPAs, uh, they, look, they look for, they analyze things for one reason. That's to see if they should analyze them even more, you know? And that's what, when you start asking a question, like, why is my bank statement off by a penny? Sometimes you uncover some really big things. Same thing in this election. When you start asking some questions, you find out some really big things. PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, they count the votes for the Oscar awards. And I don't know if you remember in 2017, they, they handed the wrong envelope. Major scandal, major problem. You know, they almost gave the, the award for best picture to um, La La Land instead of Moonlight. Can you imagine? <laughs> And, and those people, that, those accountants that count those votes, they said they will never work for the Oscars again. Yet here in this country, we've got an elections officer in Texas who was in charge of Smartmatic, who, who got chewed out on, from the Philippines for destroying their elections. And then he went down to Venezuela, well, he was down in Venezuela to help Hugo Chavez get elected. Now he's, now he's brought in and hired by Tarrant County, Texas to be their elections officer. So I, it's crazy. It's crazy what we're dealing with. I am so glad to be here. Um, God bless you and God bless America. And thanks, Joe. And, I, and you're not running for governor, but you should. Yeah. So the next, we, we have somebody else that's going to be on video, couldn't be with us here today. And you guys don't know who he is. No, you don't. I mean, you guys don't know who Mark Fincham is. Hi, this is State Representative Mark Fincham in Arizona presumptive Republican candidate for Secretary of State. It's time for us to get serious about election security and election integrity. We've seen ample evidence. In fact, I chaired a, a hearing November 30th, 2020, to hear evidence, hear testimony, seek the truth. We gathered probable cause to show the Senate 14 days later in their hearing, out of which came subpoenas for Maricopa County. And then the fight started. So we're now able to show categorically that we have three irredeemably compromised elections in Arizona, and quite frankly, they should be set aside so that those who cheated do not gain the object that they sought. Going forward, we are going to have paper ballots. We're pushing for hand counting, counting on one day, not throughout the early voting cycle. In fact, we want to put an end to early voting, have people go to the polls. Because the question right now is, do you want to have an accurate, trustworthy vote, or do you want convenience? The convenience offered by mail-in ballots. Carrie Lake and I, Carrie Lake is the presumed Republican candidate for governor, filed suit in U.S. District Court, a civil rights action, to stop the use of black box ballot tabulation equipment. Now, the reason they're called black boxes is because nobody can see what's inside. The vendor, Dominion, refuses to allow us, the government officials charged with oversight of elections, to inspect their code to make sure that there is no nefarious vote flipping code. 
but they won't do that. So we've asked for a preliminary injunction to prevent the use of this equipment in the next election. We shall see if the judge values our attempt to true the vote as much as we do. Thank you for listening to this message. No, you don't have to keep clapping. I know your hands will start to hurt by the end of this. Then we'll just let the media clap. I need to do a quick read for one of our sponsors. Um, this podcast brought to you by IP Vanish. If you're tired of feeling like somebody's always watching on the internet, maybe advertisers know a little too much about you. We've talked a lot about IP Vanish. They've been a, a partner of the show for quite some time now. But IPVanish helps you safely browse the internet without exposing your private details to third parties, such as hackers, your ISP, or advertisers. You can use IPVanish on your computers, tablets, phones, even devices like your Fire Stick when you stream media. Um, you can use IPVanish on a limited device at the same time without sacrificing on speed, your computers, tablets, phones. Um, it's, and, and for our listeners, they're, they're offering an incredible 70% off your yearly plan to our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's like getting nine months for free. It's super easy to use. All you do is tap one button. You're instantly protected. I will tell you that there are some apps that you have to turn off if you're using like ring apps or things like that you have to turn it off in order to actually access it because it has to have a localized ip address but um that's just something you just learn when you get it but you, you get to keep them from getting access to most of your information uh, those apps just need it to make it necessary to validate who you are uh, so go to ipvanish.com slash daily use promo code daily you do have to use the slash daily so ipvanish.com slash daily use promo code daily and claim your 70 percent savings Thank you. It's been a long day, a long week. And uh, I was having just a bite to eat when they said I need to come up and talk to you guys. As soon as I left the room. So you know this story. And you know how much I love you. I really, really do. And I wouldn't do this if it wasn't for you. We're going to save Colorado. And we're going to save this country. Can I tell them where I was, where we were? Uh-oh. Okay, I've been muzzled. I can't say this yet. But you'll find out. Um, so a while back, there was... Um, how many of you have heard of Laura Logan? Yeah. Laura Logan, Cheryl Atkinson. There are some, some true journalists left. And there's still, there's still a chance for others to come on board to leave a legacy in this country and in this world. And these people have been through a lot to be able to stand tall, speak the truth without wavering, not try to lead people one way or the other, but to actually report the news. And that's all we want. We don't want the owners of these news stations doing, um, giving their spin on things. Or you turn from one news station to the other and they're all saying the thing. The most secure election that you've ever seen. The most secure election 2020. So what we're going to show right now is a movie that's coming out that um, is going to tell the story. And you're going to get to see the two-minute trailer. So the movie's coming out August 20th and 21st. So that's what I'm here to introduce. Selection code. That's it. 
criminal investigations into Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters' alleged voting machine security breaches continues. If I asked you this question, before the 2020 election, are these voting machines secure? I would have said yes. And after the election, I would have said yes. What changed? Tina Peters admits she brought in a consultant to make a forensic copy of the Dominion voting system in Mesa County. I continue to think that our voting machines are too vulnerable. Voting machines in Georgia and Texas switch votes from one candidate to another. Virtually every machine was broken into. Ballot recording machines. Voting machines. 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 Voting machines. Voting machines. 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 Which are vulnerable to being hacked. There is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even rig America's elections. We've seen no evidence that any of our voting systems have been tampered with. The November 3rd election was the most secure. It was the most secure. Most secure. Most secure election in American history, period. The process is very secretive. These machines are built by private companies, which we don't have a right to know it goes on inside those. What did you see during the software update? We've uncovered something that they're afraid of. We didn't consider the machines. The information found there is the Rosetta Stone. They made Find a mistake, mistake and left the evidence in the machine. And you can hide it as well. It's only what the programmer tells to say. It's literally like the difference between going from pickpocketing to credit card fraud. These people are being selected, not elected. It's about who gets to count the vote. They break down my door, terrorize my family. FBI, get us What do you remember? Just my mom being handcuffed by the chief of police. This is not what we do in America. You could make it all go away, though. You just keep your mouth shut. You could have your life back. Can't unsee what I've seen. All right. We're going to get started. So I, I want to take a minute and say something about the next speaker. I don't know how the media is going to spin this one. Uh, it's going to be difficult because, again, what I say before, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, we also have the, is it the chairman of the Democrat Party here for for Mesa County, go ahead and stand up. I, I told him that I was gonna red pill him at some point last time, so I think it's working, he keeps showing up. <laughs> the next speaker um, is Chief Justice Michael Gableman. And I don't, know how, I don't know how you walk away from the information that he uncovered, very methodical. He went through the information and uh, in watching the video of his presentation, he said there's no way that you shouldn't, you have to decertify. And he was the chief justice. It's becoming more and more difficult for them to ignore the fact that we as people know. We know what they've done. They have selected, not elected people. So this man has had some amazing courage and a distinguished career, and I want to welcome up here Chief Justice Michael Gableman. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It is a pleasure. Yeah, courage. Courage is the word of the day, and it's an act of courage for each and every one of you to be here. We risk, uh, we risk the ridicule of these people from the media. And, you know, what I try to remind my friends in the media is that this time, and I have to correct something, I saw when I got here I was listed as Chief Justice. I never made Chief Justice. I was a justice. So I, I was never Chief. But the important part is you're here, and, and this evening is the product of the selfless action of a lot of courageous people. We have, we start of course with that irrepressible force of nature known as Mike Lindell. <laughs> Tina Peters, who has exercised terrific courage and is a wonderful public servant. And then little did I know that my friend Phil Lyman would take my advice when we were riding on a six hour car trip or so a couple months ago and I said, Phil, you know you have to run for governor. Because, <laughs> let me tell you, Phil is a, a unicorn in the political world. And let me tell you what I mean. A unicorn. It's, it's as easy to find a unicorn as it is in the political world to find someone of integrity, of courage, of brilliance, who is indefatigable, who says what he means and means what he says. And, and my God, I would come and volunteer to be the doorkeeper when you're the governor. I'll, I'll be there. So we, even though I come from America's Dairyland, Wisconsin, uh, we have a lot in common, Colorado and Wisconsin. And although this slide presentation this slide presentation is a slimmed down version of my three and a half hour presentation that I gave to the Le Wisconsin legislature on March 1st. This is, uh, please don't leave, it's much shorter than three hours. <laughs> we gotta, we're, we're trying for a, a crisp 30 minutes and uh, a lot of the points uh, that are made are, we have in common with Colorado uh, and Utah and uh, I, I don't think we can start, and I, I thank our friend from the Democratic Party for being here because as I said, yeah, it's great. I wrote a letter in January of this year, I wrote a letter to the people of the state of Wisconsin saying that I believe that there is no issue that should be more nonpartisan than having honest elections. You know, a, a lot of people, a lot of people on the left, which of course includes about 99% of the media, are happy with the reported results of the 2020 election. And so they view any criticism of it as a threat to their desired result, their achieved result, which they had desired. That's not what I'm about. I'm about trying to let my fellow citizens know that you should not be fooled by the repetition of the mainstream media that there were serious, serious problems 
with the way the 20, November 2020 election for president was conducted, and that we are right to be concerned about corruption being not only involved in that election, but systemic in it. What do I mean? Let us start our slide presentation. Um, I want to give a shout out to one of our other sponsors too. That's Axos Bank. Um, I'm excited to have found this bank and I've done a lot of research on this bank and um, I'm supposed to have another conversation with them tomorrow because I'm, I'm really interested in how they uh, are going to protect people. I'm really interested in protecting people and their ability to protect their money. I'm not sure that the banking system related to the bigger banks would ever do that. It's one of the reasons why I've never been a part of any big banks. I, I gave that up nearly 20 years ago. Um, but I found this bank, Access Bank. They opened on Independence Day 2000. They're not a crumbling brick and mortar. They're a fully digital bank built on the bedrock of American tradition. Let's take a look at the reward checking account where you can earn the highest interest rate, and it's a big one. Listeners can also get a, a $150 bonus if you open one by July 31st. Big rewards from a bank that believes in freedom to do business without compromising our values. Uh, if you go to accessbank.com slash daily for full details, that's A-X-O-S bank.com slash daily. And for that cash bonus, all you need is a $1,500 direct deposit within the first three months of opening your reward checking account. Uh, so Access Bank is federally insured. Member FDIC in there for us, all of us, accessbank.com slash daily. Go check them out. I, I want to let you know you're not alone. Uh, the majority of Wisconsin citizens and the majority of citizens across the nation believe that the results, that Joe Biden being the president, was the result, at least in part, of corruption in the election process. A little over 50% across the nation. So as much as the media would like to diminish all of us, uh, we are in the majority. There's, there's an old joke who I don't have the time to give you the setup, but the punchline is, who are you going to believe, me or your lion eyes? Believe your eyes, is what I'm telling you. Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, one of the world's wealthiest men, uh, decided early on that he wanted uh, to do whatever he could to defeat Donald Trump and elect whoever ran against him. And so to do that, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife took about $400 million. That's $400 million that we know of. That's, that's what's reported, okay? And of that $400 million, he gave $350 million to this entity called CTCL. You're going to be hearing those letters. Those letters stand for Center for Tech and Civic Life. It's based out of Chicago, Illinois, conveniently located in the very offices that served as Barack Obama's campaign headquarters. In the years, yeah, a lot of coincidence. But, but these aren't, I'm not, <laughs> I want to make it clear. Everything in this presentation is objectively true. I stood in front of the Wisconsin Assembly for three and a half hours, and, and you better be sure I wanted nobody, and you know what? For all, some people tell me there have been a couple of negative articles about it. <laughs> but I'll tell you what they haven't been able to do. They, they've been able to attack me. And by the way, I don't care. I think one of the truest things I ever heard a politician say, uh, and I don't even remember when he said it or where he said it, was when Donald Trump uh, was addressing a large audience and he said, no, no, they're, they're not coming for me. They're coming for you. I just happen to be in the way. 
And so that's, that's all that is. I don't care. So CTCL, Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is run, and you'll, we'll, we'll go over a few details, and I better mark my time because they are tough here. Um, in years past, their operating budget had been uh, a little under a million dollars a year. So they, they hit the jackpot with, with Mark Zuckerberg and Mrs. Zuckerberg's contribution of $350 million in 2020. Uh, here is the director of CTCL, Tiana Epps-Johnson, and with her former boss, she had just left her position. When she became head of Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL, uh, she had just left her position as a, I believe it was a fellow at the Obama Foundation. So there she is uh, with former President Obama. And then within a couple of months, she's handing out checks uh, for $350 million. What's she doing with that money? She is, she's taking that money to states like Colorado, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and other states. And what she's doing with it, it's not, it's a very simple, it's a very simple plan. And the mastermind of the plan is this guy who, named David Pluff, and he wrote that very subtly titled book. You can hardly tell where his political interests are, Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. And he wrote a letter, and I'm going to get back to Tian Epps Johnson and CTCL. This plan, this $400 million plan, and for those of you who are keeping track, there's an extra $50 million or so floating out there. We'll get to that in a few minutes. That was also used to help elect Joe Biden. So Pluff was one of the two main political advisors to Barack Obama, helping Obama work his way up from a community organizer in the inner city of Chicago uh, to the White House. David Axelrod was the other uh, principal advisor. So Pluff, in summer of 2020, writes this book. And this book is very similar to a letter to the editor to the New York Times that he wrote, I think, about three days after uh, Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton in the, in the 2016 election, where he said the reasons that Hillary Clinton lost is there are two reasons, that she didn't spend enough time in states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and she didn't do enough to turn out the African-American vote. Now, why is this significant? It, it plays, it, excuse me, it plays a key part in this execution of the $400 million plan on the part of Mark Zuckerberg. The reason for the push for African-American votes is because the, the research tells us that when African-Americans vote, they tend to vote at least 86% of the time for the Democrat candidate. But they are generally less likely to show up at the polls on election day. So David Pluff comes up with a plan, and then Mark Zuckerberg hires David Pluff as Zuckerberg's political advisor to implement the plan. And the plan is to distribute the money to CTCL, and the other one is Center for Election Innovation and Research. I call it SEER. 
and uh, it's up on the screen, David Becker. Now that's a name very few people in this room probably know, but if you know, you know. David Becker, the biggest surprise that I received uh, in the course of about the past year investigating this uh, election is that the person, the one person who's most responsible for deciding who is on a particular state's voting rolls is a guy named David Becker who is a far extreme leftist who started out as a lawyer in the Department of Justice where he wrote emails that were scathing and, and ex exorbitantly critical towards Republicans. And so Mark Zuckerberg looks far and wide and tries to find the best person to hand over $69.2 million to during the 2020 election and gives it to David Becker. The other reason that David Becker is very significant is he is the one several years ago who when George Soros, who when I was in Utah, I was very surprised to learn that Mr. Soros has a home about 15 miles away from Salt Lake City, which I did not know. But he didn't invite me over for dinner. I, <laughs> sorry. You know. So Becker, Becker is very active in Colorado. Uh, Center for Election Innovation and Research, but, but also mainly in the form of ERIC, E-R-I-C electronic registration information center. David Becker was the founder, the founding manager. They tried to keep it secret who was funding that, but a whistleblower a couple of years after it was funded let everybody know that it was George Soros. So this $400 million, give or take, is put in play to take to the secretaries of states, of the, of the uh, close states, including Wisconsin, including Colorado. And the whole idea is to take that money to the election officials. Now, here's David Becker in a little more. This, this was geared towards a Wisconsin audience. And two things I'd like to point out. David Becker was the founding manager of ERIC in 2012. What? I have my uh, PowerPoint here, but that's not what's controlling what's on the screen. <laughs> my friend Zach Nemirovich. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, it's good because it calls attention to a very important man. He is the left's go-to guy when it comes to spreading money around to execute left political plans. Eric founded with money from George Soros. The WEC, W-E-C, is the Wisconsin Elections Commission, whose director is Megan Wolf. She is also the current chairman of the board of the Electronic Registration Information Center. That is a funded, that is not only funded by Soros and other leftists, but it's funded by the subscribing states, including Colorado, including Wisconsin. Their stated purpose, the stated purpose of ERIC is to uh, make sure that all the voter rolls are accurate. Well, let me tell you how successful they are in Wisconsin at that. In Wisconsin, we have about five and a half million residents. Of those five and a half million residents, about four million are eligible voters over the age of 18, not convicted felons currently serving a sentence. So if you're tracking, 
the math and I ask you, how many names should we have on the Wisconsin voter? Remember, four million eligible voters, right? How many names should we have on the Wisconsin voter rolls? Four million or less, right, yeah. A little over seven million names. Their, their stated reason, if, you, if David Becker or Megan Wolf were here, uh, they would say, well, once someone is registered to vote in Wisconsin, um, we never take their names off. So the good Lord can take the person off the earth, but WEC will not take their names off the voter rolls. And they say it's because we need a historical record of every person who ever voted in the state, right. And my response, which I said to the legislature on March 1, was that's fine, the historical society is located approximately two miles to the west, and take your names there, but let's have accurate voter rolls. And that's why I was so encouraged. Uh, one candidate for governor in Pennsylvania has called for a complete do-over of all the voter rolls end of the current voter rolls and everyone re-register with accurate proof of residency. It, it's just such a common sense, oh, <laughs> and I think it was our friend Jeff O'Donnell who told me that. And uh, he, said, he said to me earlier today, what do you think the attack was? And we both said it together, you're racist. For the record, eh, never mind. So Center for Election Innovation and Research founded in 2016. Again, this is for more for a Wisconsin audience, but it illustrates the very incestuous uh, nature of these groups. Kevin Kennedy, who had been the head of the Wisconsin Election Commission, the, it was called GAB, Government Accountability Board at that time. The legislature about uh, six years ago chose to dismantle the Government Accountability Board that was headed by Kevin Kennedy. When's the last time you've heard of a government agency being dismantled? Yeah, it doesn't happen. The reason that the legislature said they were dismantling Kevin Kennedy's Government Accountability Board is that it was hopelessly partisan left and corrupt. So, the George Soros-funded David Becker looks far and wide to find the best board member uh, for Center for Election Innovation and Research, the recipient of $69.2 million of Mark Zuckerberg's money in 2020, and says, you, Kevin Kennedy, are just the guy. And Kevin Kennedy hired Megan Wolf and trained her. So David Becker remains as the executive director and president and board member of SEER. We'll move on. So the stated purpose uh, of CTCL's grants, the Zuckerberg money, was to get out the vote. Well, the well, sorry. The stated purpose was to protect people from COVID. So in Wisconsin, right, and that's the right response. And, and I'll just skip to the punchline so you know your laughter is validated. They wound up spending less than 1% of the money on COVID protection stuff, okay? So you're right to say, uh, you're right to be skeptical, because <laughs> it was a lie. So they said, and that's how they sold it. They said, we wanna bring eight, we wanna bring what turned out to be $10 million to Wisconsin's five largest cities, which happened to be the five largest Democrat cities. 
and we want to protect those people uh, from COVID, so we're going to give $10 million to the city clerks. Now, this is not money, this is not money that the clerks had asked for. This, our state, we're capable people in Wisconsin. We provided all of the COVID safety things. And if, and if something fell through the cracks, uh, President Trump had overseen the development of the, uh, all the grant money from the federal government that clerks could have easily applied for and was being readily distributed to, to uh, protect people. Once, this, once the five cities agreed, and we'll go to the next one, Oh, we don't need. Let's uh, go to CTCL money was for implementing the PLUF strategy. Once the cities agreed to take the Zuckerberg money, CTCL then switched the pitch and, and COVID was forgotten and instead the five cities that were to receive about $10 million had to tell CTCL in order to get the remainder of the money, tell us how you are going to get the African American vote out. That is called a get out the vote. And that's what they called it, a get out the vote effort. Get out the vote, GOTV, has historically been a partisan term used in partisan campaigns that each candidate strives to get out the vote of each of their natural constituencies. So how does that relate to CTCL's requirement that the five clerks and five mayors of Wisconsin's five largest cities spend the money, somewhere between 8.8 .8 and $10 million, in, in making special get out the vote drives in the African American communities that relates to the fact that what David Pluff himself noted, getting out the African-American vote, the African-American voter who, who, when they vote, tends to vote at least 86% of the time for the Democrat candidate. Here are a couple of quotes. Early voting is important. So yes, they took David Pluff's strategy and they said early, early voting is important. Let's hire what, what they called voter navigators to find out who had requested absentee ballots, but who had not yet returned them. And then they took it another step further. I showed the legislature evidence, and I believe it's true, and nobody who knows is telling me different, that CTCL, the Zuckerberg-funded effort to get out the African-American vote in favor of Joe Biden, that they had real-time information. And we, we submitted to the legislature a YouTube video where the guy who created the app that allowed CTCL to know precisely, not just who had not yet returned their absentee ballot, but to also know what race they self-identified as. So therefore, right, you know, and we're the, you know, and the people in this room are the racists, you know. It's, it's really a cynical, ugly, but effective this time around plan. And so they would then send out, and by the way, that information was available to nobody else in real time. 
At best, at best, a campaign could buy that information for $12,500 for one day's worth. And then they'd have to wait three to four days to get the information, during which the voter may very well have sent in their ballot. So we'll go to the next. This is the uh, strong preference data. We'll go to the next. Now, in, in more recent years, why the concern about African Americans? That's a legitimate question. Why? Why? The stated reason was, well, because African American people tend not to go to the polls on voting day. And that was their explanation. But there is very strong data, as reported by the Brookings Institute, by the reported by the newspaper The Guardian, and Pew Research Center, to show that African Americans, while slightly under the trajectory of other groups for voting on Election Day, have, over the last 20 years, a comparable, uh, a comparable uh, voting rate at the polls on Election Day. Uh, the next one is, what does this have to do with COVID safety? Uh, and the answer is nothing. We'll go to the next slide. Okay, so how, and the next one is CTCL's Josh Goldman. This is how they talk to each other. And, and, and in, we, we presented a series of emails, and I have to give a shout out to a, a, a nonprofit organization called the Thomas More Society. Many of you have probably not heard of it. It's a, yes, they are, the Thomas More Society was founded 30, 40 years ago, and their main issue for many, many years was pro-life issues. But recently they branched out into election integrity. And one of the things they did before I was even appointed as the special counsel to investigate these elections, one of the things they did is they did a lot of open records requests. And they received a, a lot of these emails, and a CTCL-funded political operative is now asking Claire Woodall Vaug, who is the director of the city of Milwaukee, our state's largest city by far, hey, Claire, I really want to embed some middle management staff in your office. This is from the Zuckerberg-funded organization. They're, and what do they mean by embed? put their employees right in the clerk's office to work on ballots, to work on get out the vote drives, to work on figuring out who hadn't yet returned their absentee ballot. All, so this is all documented and nobody, nobody has shown any evidence to the contrary. Think about it. The government duty to run a fair an honest election, how safe, how confident should we feel that a, a fair election was held when people who are being paid by Mark Zuckerberg, who has declared his intent and had, did in fact spend at least $400 million to defeat Donald Trump, is paying employees who are then going to go work in our state, it happens to be the city clerks who put on the elections. In most states, it's the Secretary of State, which is why it's so important uh, that Tina Peters and people like her 
who believe in honest elections are successful. And, and then we have a series of uh, emails with the aforementioned Megan Wolf, the director of Wisconsin Election Commission. Oh, this should have special resonance. This is the, yep. This is the director of the Wisconsin Election Commission and current chairman of the board of the originally George Soros funded Eric writing to the clerks of the five Zuckerberg cities, which is what I called them in my interim report. They, they referred to themselves as the Wisconsin Five. I, I didn't like that term at all. They weren't there to work for the people of Wisconsin, unfortunately, because that's what they're paid to do. But they were there to work for Mark Zuckerberg. They became, it was an employment contract. This was not a grant. This was an employment contract where Zuckerberg was the employer and our city officials were the employees. So here is Megan Wolf introducing a guy named Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. Michael Spitzer Rubenstein works for, at that time anyway, uh, he's of Brooklyn, New York, and he worked for the National Vote at Home Institute, which is based here in Colorado. The end game goal for the National Vote at Home Institute is default mail-in balloting and email balloting. By default, I mean they want to take all the lists that have been created by the David Becker, the George Soros, originally funded, Eric, currently run by David Becker and staffed by people like Megan Wolf and Kevin Kennedy, and they want to send everybody, all seven million names, on our Wisconsin voter rolls when we have four million eligible voters. That's who they want to send ballots to as a default. So that's Colorado, and unfortunately, they've got a big effect on other states as well. So here are more emails. And the next one I'm going to pause at is Megan Wolf both knew about and facilitated the CTCL grant. Um, this was more important to the, the audience of the Wisconsin legislature. It's, it's not important for our, con but she denied knowing anything about the CTCL grants. In when she was questioned by the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections. So during my three and a half hour presentation, I showed videotape where she testified she didn't know anything about it, but then brought these series of emails to show that she not only knew about it, but she's recommending Zuckerberg funded actors to help execute it in the city clerk's offices. Well, it's, it, so far it has had no effect. She's still there. She's still, oh, and, and her response. To be fair to Ms. Wolf, as I hope she would be to all of us, uh, she said, well, Gableman, Justice Gableman took my comments out of context. I showed all the videotape, and she didn't explain how I took her, and I'll just tell you, I did not take her statements out of context. She either knew or she didn't know. Yes, ma'am. Uh, statutory authority over private grants, if they don't have them, we've heard the same thing in our state. Yep. Was that addressed, and how was that addressed in Wisconsin? It was addressed in Wisconsin in my report where I accused, and I, I determined that CTCL uh, had engaged in election bribery. So we'll go to the next 
Electronic Registration Information Center, we've already discussed that. Their stated goal is to clean up voter rolls. Here's a very important fact about Eric. Again, Eric is, Colorado is an Eric state, as is Utah. And while originally funded by George Soros, it's now funded by its subscriber states, of which there are 16. Up until a few months ago, there were 17, but Louisiana dropped them. And now there are a number of Secretary of State candidates running across the country. Mr. Marchant uh, was here, and I know he is running on a platform to remove Nevada from the ERIC subscriber. Right. Well, let me tell you why you're right to be concerned about it and why to applaud that. Maybe you know. But additional details are that in Wisconsin, we are told, we are told the public information available to us is that the state of Wisconsin pays to Eric $30,000 a year. But we have evidence, and when I say we, I mean the Chairman, Chairman Janelle Branchen of the Wisconsin Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections. She has found evidence and she has publicly declared that Wisconsin, remember our executive director of the Wisconsin Election Commission is Megan Wolf, who is also chairman of the board of ERIC. Wisconsin actually pays several hundred thousand dollars. And when asked for the contract that shows the payment terms, Ms. Wolf has told Chairman Branchen, we can't share that with you because it's secret. <laughs> My, right. And, and a conflict of interest, I, I said, and I believe it, the conflict of interest exists when you're the executive director of the Wisconsin Election Commission and then you sit down at the table with a private group called Electronic Registration Information Center who is a vendor. They are selling. They're not giving away anything. They're selling a product. So my question is, which remains unanswered, when Megan Wolf sits down at the table to bargain over the terms of the contract with Eric, who's on the other side of the table? <laughs> so I, I think Gateway, Jim Hoft, if you haven't, the last bullet point, the last circle here, if you haven't heard of Jim Hoft and his, uh, his uh, news site called Gateway Pundit, he calls it that because he's based out of St. Louis. He says, Eric has been described as a left-wing voter registration drive disguised as a voter roll cleanup. And I've told him, I think he, he nailed that one. So I then go into a series of recommendations. And, but I'll tell you the three big ones. I don't know what it costs in Colorado to get a copy of your, your voter rolls, your lists of, of the names and what? Did someone know? $100. Well, in Wisconsin, if you want the list from the Wisconsin Election Commission of who that day, Friday, June 24, 2022, who's on the voter list, They'll give it to you right after you pay them $12,500. Right, and that's the right response. I said to the legislature, and I say to anybody, uh, including my wonderful audience tonight, that is what we call an artificial barrier 
to information which the taxpayers have already paid for. It's crazy. So, so it seems to me, it seems to me, the number, the number one step is to make those voter rolls public. Put them on the internet. The taxpayers have already paid for them. That way, anyone, anyone, uh, the chairman of the Democratic Party, the chairman of the Republican Party, an citi interested citizen, and yes, political candidate can go down the list and they can check for themselves. And they can say, well, Mrs. Smith at 123 Main Street, she died three years ago. She shouldn't be on this list. And that creates an avenue for citizens. Oh, imagine this. Citizens actually taking a substantive role in running their government. And then the second thing, the second thing I recommended to the legislature, and I recommend to, to any state, is to create a list and make available to the people a list of the names and addresses who everybody, of everybody who voted in the most recent election. Again, WEC will give you that list, but that isn't 12500 This is a bargain at $10,500, right? So if everyone had, and when I say everyone, I mean that, just the people in this room, me, if we had those two lists, who's registered to vote and who voted, then anyone can sit down with those two lists and go through their neighborhood and check and see are the people listed there the people who actually live in those houses and if not now the most important recommendation I make I, I think they're all equally important I won't say it's the most important but it is so common sense that it's just it takes a special kind you know I used to have I used to have <laughs> an expression, I don't know that I ever heard anybody else say it, but maybe you know people who have been educated for many years in, in college and after college, and a lot of... That's it for part one, everyone, of our event in Mesa County. Coming up in part two, we have Mike Lindell speaking, more from Joe Oltman, and more speakers. You do not want to miss it. Go check it out coming up next on Conservative Daily Podcast. They don't know how to tie the